Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Wednesday this week marked a year since Kathy Hochul became New York's governor. Hochul, who was lieutenant governor when former Governor Andrew Cuomo resigned last year, is now running for a full term, hoping to become the state's first female elected to the post. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt has more. Hochul took over as governor two weeks after former Governor Andrew Cuomo announced that he was resigning over multiple scandals, including allegations of sexual harassment. I want people to believe in their governor again. It's important to me that people have faith. Our strength comes from the faith and the confidence of the people who put us in these offices. Hochul had to hit the ground running, coping with COVID, and within days of taking office, dealing with a major hurricane. The governor, on the one-year anniversary, continued what's been an active public schedule. She highlighted what she considers to be some of her accomplishments in the past year, appearing with New York City Mayor Eric Adams and federal ATF Director Stephen Dettelbach at a meeting of an interstate task force on illegal guns that was begun by Hochul. Taking over 6,000 guns off the streets over the last year, through a coordinated effort is, is something that the criminals are not happy about. Hochul and the legislature also strengthened the state's gun safety laws after a mass shooting in the governor's hometown of Buffalo in the spring. Hochul also took action in the wake of two recent U.S. Supreme Court decisions, one that threw out the state's limits on carrying a concealed weapon, the other that overturned the abortion rights in Roe v. Wade. A few hours after the summit on illegal guns, Hochul presided over the official opening of the state fair in Syria. The fair is back, and I'm so excited to be here. Where she received the Distinguished Alumni Medallion from the 4-H Club. She's a former member. Hochul's opponents, including Republicans in the state legislature and the GOP candidate for governor, Long Island Congressman Lee Zeldin, have focused on the higher crime rate, inflation, and the state's high taxes and cost of living. Zeldin wants to repeal the controversial 2019 bail reform laws. They ended most forms of cash bail, and they've been criticized by law enforcement groups. Zeldin says he experienced what he views as flaws in the laws when he was attacked by a troubled war veteran in late July at a campaign appearance near Rochester. The alleged attacker was released without bail. He was charged with a violent felony, and he was released back out onto the streets. The man was later held on the federal charge of attempting to assault a member of Congress. Hochul held up passage of the state budget this spring to roll back parts of the bail reform laws. She convinced Democratic state legislative leaders to add more crimes back in to once again be bail eligible, and judges were given more criteria to use to hold someone pretrial. Hochul says the tools are in place to hold defendants longer, and she blames judges and prosecutors for not following the new rules. 
Hochul's ahead of Zeldin in the polls, but she hasn't received a voter approval rating higher than 46 percent. A Siena College poll in early August found while Hochul was ahead by 14 points, Zeldin was strong in some key swing suburban districts and among independent voters. Spokesman Steve Greenberg says Zeldin needs to do some more work, though, if he wants to catch up to Hochul. Zeldin's going to have to do better with independents. He's got a slight edge with them right now, but he's really got to win independents, and he's got to cut into Hochul's lead with Democrats. Zeldin, who is pro-life, has not highlighted his anti-abortion stance. The governor and her supporters are heartened by Tuesday's win by Democrat Pat Ryan in a special election in a swing congressional district in the Hudson Valley. Ryan, who is pro-abortion rights, made supporting those rights a centerpiece of his campaign, while his opponent, Republican Mark Molinaro, who is against abortion, focused instead on crime and the economy. Hochul commented on that win on Wednesday. Talked about the values that we share as New Yorkers that we respect these two important areas, abortion rights and protecting people from gun violence. That's how you get winners. That's how you win elections. The governor hopes those issues will carry her over the finish line in November. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Primaries and special elections took place this week in New York, and in one of the most closely watched special elections around the country, Ulster County Executive Pat Ryan defeated Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro in the special congressional election in New York's 19th District. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report. The race is regarded by many as a bellwether for the November midterms. Ryan, who largely ran on protecting abortion rights, will occupy fellow Democrat Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado's former seat for the rest of the year. Although a few popular opinion surveys indicated a Molinaro victory, Ryan enjoyed a huge lead during the first hour after polls closed. As more precincts reported, Molinaro came closer and closer. But news outlets began calling the race for Ryan just before midnight, when State Senator Michelle Hinchy took to the stage at Ryan's watch party in Kingston. Dave Wasserman, CNN and MSNBC just called it for Pat Ryan. Across the river in Hudson, Molinaro was telling supporters, hang on, this ain't over yet. And uh, whether it's tonight or it's November 8th, uh, we are going to win the 19th Congressional District and give voice to people who are working too damn hard and getting too little in return. It marked a full circle moment for Ryan, who finished second to Delgado in a crowded primary in 2018. I want to start by uh, thanking Mark Molinaro for running a good race, a hard race, uh, and, and I look forward to uh, continuing to work with him. Ryan thanked supporters, telling the frenzied crowd he was next going to tour the district after getting a few hours of sleep. And then we're going to get up and go to every single corner of this incredible congressional district, all 11 counties, listen and continue to engage with people, and then deliver for them. Deliver desperately needed economic relief, continue to build on what I've done here in record-breaking tax cuts, cutting gas tax, providing relief to small businesses, farmers, families. Uh, people are in real pain right now, and we have to step up and deliver for them. So I'm going to get right to work. Both candidates will be on the ballot in separate districts in November. In addition to Tuesday's special election, Ryan won the Democratic nomination in the new 18th district. He says he's ready to take on Republican two-term state assemblyman Colin Schmidt in November. My opponent in that race is a direct threat to our democracy, to our safety, to our freedom and we're going to beat him the same way we just uh, defeated Mark Molinaro. Molinaro secured the position as Republican nominee in the redrawn 19th. 
Josh Riley beat Jamie Cheney in the Democratic primary in that district. After declaring victory, Riley urged Democratic supporters who voted for Ryan to join his campaign against Molinaro. And to my Republican and independent friends, there's a home for you here as well. We won't agree on it. In fact, we'll probably disagree on most things, and that's okay. We'll treat each other with decency. Election day is November 8th. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk. Let's talk primary results, Alan, specifically in New York. Representative Gerald Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, handily defeated his longtime congressional neighbor, Carolyn Maloney, in a bruising three-way primary battle on Tuesday that was preordained to end one of the powerful Democrats' political careers. This is from the New York Times. The star-crossed skirmish in the heart of Manhattan was unlike any New York City or the Democratic Party writ large had seen in recent memory, though few ideological differences were at stake. It pitted two committee chairs who have served side-by-side in Washington since the 1990s against each other and cleaved party faithful into rival factions. Of course, this happened because of redistricting. Your thoughts on Nadler's defeat of Maloney this morning? Well, as we've been talking day after day, we saw it coming. We knew this was going to happen. It's unfortunate because Maloney is a terrific politician and a brilliant woman who I think deserved to win. I have made my personal feelings clear, but it was clear that the truck was coming down the highway and that Nadler was going to win. The New York Times did their thing, and, you know, it counts for a lot, especially in a place where a lot of people are away and they're on the Hamptons or maybe even Fire Island or one of these other places. So that's what happened. Nadler wins. As I say, we saw it coming. And it is too bad because we need terrific women politicians at a time when there are all too few of them. Then there's the interesting 10th district in New York, Allen. It connects Brooklyn and Lower Manhattan, a close race, won by Daniel S. Goldman. He's a wealthy former federal prosecutor and MSNBC commentator who helped build an impeachment case against Mr. Trump, but with little name recognition, defeated Representative Mondaire Jones. So what do you make of that win? Now, the New York Times picked him. I'm wondering if that had any impact. Well, your question is an interesting one. Does the New York Times tell everybody what to do? Look, an awful lot of people don't know a lot about politics. And one of the times who does understand what these races are all about makes basically an endorsement. An awful lot of people follow it. I don't know if that's healthy, but that's the way it is. Okay, now let's go to Republicans outside Buffalo. Nick Langworthy, the state Republican chairman, mm-hmm. defeated Carl Palladino. A businessman who has run for governor in the past in New York was backed by Representative Elise Stefanik, the number three House Republican. It's a close one. Langworthy beat Palladino 52 to 48 percent. You know, they chose the less right of the candidates, I guess. Well, look, you can't always predict what's going to happen. What we see is based on the understanding of the people who live there, not the people who live in New York City or in Albany. 
a lot comes down to perception of personality and character, and people make decisions that way. Then you have the 19th district election where Antonio Delgado left to become the lieutenant governor of New York. The winner, Pat Ryan, the Democratic County Executive, beat the Republican 52 to 48 percent over Mark Molinaro. And the Times suggesting that abortion was part of the message in that race. Well, it may well have been. If it's going to count anywhere, it's going to be in New York State. And obviously, abortion means a great deal to many people. It certainly is at the top of my list when it comes to who I vote for, and I think there are an awful lot of people. And the more you get into districts where people are thinking, the more you're going to have this kind of result. Our political observer, Alan Shartok, with us. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Well, with a deeper look at the 21st congressional race where Matt Costelli won the Democratic primary after claiming victory over Matt Petorti, the former CIA officer, goes on to face Republican Elise Stefanik, who is seeking a fifth term in November. The Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports. I am honored to accept the Democratic Party nomination for New York 21. Matt Costelli declared victory in Glens Falls at the same bar where he began his campaign a year ago. He thanked his primary opponent for running a spirited campaign, and in his victory speech, the Democrat characterized Stefanik as a far-right extremist. Her time is over, and a great reckoning is coming. She has not seen anything like the power of all of us united in defense of America and the Constitution I swore an oath to protect and defend. Stefanik, the number three House Republican, welcomed Costelli to the race in a statement calling him a downstate radical far-left Democrat from Poughkeepsie and touted her fundraising advantage. Costelli acknowledged the Stefanik campaign's deep pockets, but describes himself as a political moderate who can build a coalition of supporters across party lines to defeat an incumbent who now describes herself as ultra-MAGA. There have been some folks that have suspected because I was in a Democratic primary, we'd have to go to the left. This is an independent-minded district. Whether you're a Democrat, an independent, or Republican, folks don't like being told what to do. They believe in our common values, not what divides us. The 41-year-old, who will also appear on his own moderate party line, has distanced himself from Democratic leadership in Washington, saying he will listen to constituents. In a WAMC Congressional Corner interview during the primary campaign, Costelli said he would not support House Speaker Nancy Pelosi as Democratic leader if elected. Costelli, a former counterterrorism official in the Obama White House, is pro-choice but also calls himself pro-Second Amendment. Asked about what he would do to curb gun violence on election night, Costelli stopped short of calling for a new assault weapons ban, which had been the topic of debate in the primary. Through background checks, red flag laws, there's a coalition that want to come together to deliver real solutions to that challenge. Lynn Bocher, the Warren County Democratic chair, thinks Costelli has the right combination to win a district that hasn't gone for a Democrat in a decade. 
I think his candidacy is a viable alternative to the current congresswoman. And that viability does stand out with, to me. And as a veteran chair who can be somewhat jaded, he has brought to me an energy that he's addressing issues that are pertinent to life here in the North Country. Fatorti, meantime, congratulated Castelli and pledged his support to defeat Stefanik, saying in a statement, quote, we deserve a representative who will put the needs of our community ahead of personal ambition and political gain, end quote. Stefanik's campaign says it looks forward to defeating Castelli in a landslide in a district that is now, quote, even more Republican with an even larger Trump margin, end quote. Although she was not on the ballot Tuesday, Stefanik did suffer a setback when former gubernatorial candidate Carl Palladino lost a Republican primary in western New York's 23rd district to state party chair Nick Langworthy. Stefanik had endorsed Palladino despite a number of controversies. Reporting from Glens Falls, I'm Lucas Willard. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus. In what could be a national bellwether, Democrats are celebrating the special election victory of Ulster County Executive Pat Ryan Tuesday in New York's 19th House District race over Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro. I need everyone here to leave tonight to take this energy, remember this energy. We answer the darkness, the divisiveness, the cynicism with hope, with positivity, with people power. Remember that. We are gonna take that into November. Ryan will head to Washington to finish the term of now Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado. That was just one closely watched outcome of the rare second summer primary in New York. And joining us now for analysis is Jay Jacobs, the head of the New York State Democratic Party. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me. Overall, how do you think your party did in this latest primary? Well, I think it was a very good night. Um, I I think that um, certainly Pat Ryan's win um, is something to give us a lot of encouragement going into the fall. There's been a lot of naysaying all spring about how terrible Democrats are going to do. But I think voters are starting to get the message and beginning to understand that the Democrats are delivering um, across the board. uh, The Inflation Reduction Act, uh, now uh, the the president's decision to forgive $10,000 in student debt. Uh, I think, uh, uh, never mind the infrastructure one trillion dollar bill that was passed earlier on. Voters are beginning to see these things, and uh, I think we're going to have a very good, uh, good election this fall. In many national accounts of Ryan's campaign and victory, uh, they focused on the fact that Ryan made abortion rights and reproductive rights a centerpiece of his campaign. Do you think that's the right message for Democrats this fall? I think it's one of the right messages. I don't think it's the only message, but I, I think that. You know, voters generally, Americans, are upset 
with what the conservative um, extreme Republicans have been able to accomplish by loading up the Supreme Court uh, with people who think the way they they think. And uh, the outcome, the result was overturning Roe v. Wade. That's particularly upsetting. That, that was some that was, you know, the, the law of the land for almost 50 years. And um, uh, every poll shows and it, it's you know overwhelming that people believe in a woman's right to choose and um this these draconian measures that are being put into place in some of the states to take away that right is is something that's going to motivate voters and republicans are scared to death over it and they should be the generic poll of who americans would like to see running congress is basically even now but Democrats also took a lot of redistricting hits uh, in some key states. If you were handicapping the midterms, how likely do you think it is that Democrats will hold the House? Well, I, I think it's a toss up. Um, I think we can hold the House. I don't think you know, we're going to make much in the way of gains, but you never know. You know something? The interesting thing about all of these um, predictions is they're predicated on today's reality. Over the next several weeks and into October, you know, the world changes, things happen. And those things impact uh, the voters' mood, the basic political environment. So we just don't know. And uh, I I would say this, if the Republicans do take the House, it won't be by a lot. Uh, And if Democrats hold the House, uh, I think also it won't be by a lot. But I I think we have uh, a lot of uh, promise and, and hope in the Senate. I think we'll pick up some seats and that'll make legislating a bit easier, certainly if we do hold the House. Some of the programs that you've mentioned in this interview are much more popular with Americans than the current president is, Joe Biden. Uh, Do you worry about Biden's low uh, polling and the drag it might have on Democratic candidates? Well, I I think that's going to change over the next several weeks. Uh, Look, you know, they've been doing a hit job on, on Joe Biden since he took office. Um, number one, whether he was legitimate or not, they've been questioning that. And that certainly, um, you know, motivates the Republican base anyway in their in their dislike uh, for, for Joe Biden. But uh, the other piece of it, these these nonsensical claims that, you know, he's not with it. Uh, he's too old. Look, this guy has been accomplishing so much more than than recent presidents uh, with a very slim uh, majority uh, in the House and, you know, uh, e- equal numbers, 50-50 in the Senate. I mean, it's incredible what he's gotten done. Um, look, have the, has it been smooth all the time? Has it been without its bumps? Of course not. No no administration, particularly early on, is, is without, you know, some missteps here and there. But the, those being the focus is, is, gen, is generally an unfair uh, way of looking at it. I think the guy has done a great job. And uh, I think the polls will ultimately reflect that. And uh, and I'm confident that going into the fall, he'll be an asset and not the liability that some people are, are thinking. Let me ask you uh, for your read on some other uh, primaries from Tuesday. Um, Sean Patrick Maloney faced a challenge from his left uh, from State Senator Alessandro Biagi. He, of course, is leading the Democrats' November midterm efforts in the House. Uh, in his victory speech, he said, you know, uh, basically moderates won that night uh, in in the form of his victory. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I do. Look, you know, um, the socialists um, and the, the folks on the far left, they have their constituency where they will win, um, but they're in very small pockets. 
They're in places like uh, New York City in, in specific districts, and they're going to do well there, and they always will. Um, that's not unique. That's not new. That's not a trend. That just is what it is. But in the overwhelming swath of districts across the state, in the, uh, out in the suburbs, in rural areas, upstate, uh, uh, overwhelmingly moderates will win uh, because that is the overwhelming uh, view of Democrats, never mind the general public. Uh, you know, we tend to be uh, moderate progressives in the Democratic Party. And, and that's what you're going to see in primary. So people like uh, Senator Biaggi, you know, who challenged uh, um, uh, Maloney with with AOC support, that was her prime race. And, you know, she's she's very anxious always to take credit for all of her achievements. Well, this, this was a circumstance she's been pretty quiet about because, you know, uh, they lost overwhelmingly because it's the wrong district for them. This this is not their constituency. They they can they can do well when there's low hanging fruit and uh and you know they they've demonstrated that and they're a permanent part of the political uh discourse in our party and in the country uh, and I believe it should be because there are people who believe that way but it's not the mainstream and overwhelmingly uh, uh you know between 70 and 80% of democrats are moderate and that is that is proven primary after primary and district after district across the state and across the country. Well, are you uh, glad that the AOC wing is a permanent part of the Democratic Party or would you prefer that it isn't? No, you know what? I, I think we need lots of voices. Uh, I don't have any objection to. Um, in fact, I encourage it. I, I think that, look, look the Democratic Party um, can can sometimes push too uh, or, or hold too tight to the status quo because it's safe. What the progressives, the, the, the folks on the far left do for us is they keep pushing us. They keep shoving us much like a tugboat shoves an ocean liner into the right place. Now, we don't go all the way. Uh, if we followed them all the way, I think we'd go off a cliff. But uh, I think they uh, are, in a certain sense, the conscience of the party and um and, and i respect them tremendously i just don't agree you know with how far they want to go now the the folks on the socialists i think are just you know off the charts because you know i just think they're they're just not headed in the right direction at all but i i think those that are 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 you know um uh, progressive uh, uh on the far left that you know push for uh, universal health care and, and programs like that. I think they're well-intentioned. I, I think their motivation is good. You know, what motivates them is good. And and I'm glad that they're part of the party. I just don't think that they should be directing the party um, and deciding, you know, where we go, because I don't think voters agree with, you know, the, the full direction uh, that they want to take us. That's Jay Jacobs, the head of the New York State Democratic Party. Jay, thank you for taking all the time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2234 or just listen online at wamc.org or schedule a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.